Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today, we have some exciting behind-the-scenes action for you. As part of our video offerings on the Mariner's Mirror YouTube channel, which has been set up with a dedicated mission to bring innovative video content to maritime history, We have begun a little series shooting ship models in incredible detail using the very latest in camera technology, in particular something called a probe lens. Now you don't need to know anything about it apart from the fact that it looks a bit like a magic wand, long and thin with a light at the very end. It's certainly one of the weirdest lenses on the market, but it's able to create perspectives which are simply not possible with other existing lenses. It has a very unusual wide angle that offers increased depth of field, useful when shooting at very close distances. It has been used to great success in documentary making, particularly filming things like wildlife and nature. And I'm certain if you've watched any of David Attenborough's latest offerings on the BBC, you will have seen some extraordinary images created with this lens. And when I was also watching the same thing, it struck me that bringing such wonderful technology to the world of maritime ship models would be a very good thing. It has been an extremely long process producing these two episodes, one on HMS Royal George, a first-rate sailing ship from the middle of the Georgian period, and one on the Great Eastern, an extraordinary iron-hulled steamship from a century later that revolutionised shipbuilding. I could not have done any of this without the extraordinary generosity of the folks at the National Maritime Museum who have made this all possible. Without their support, it would, without a doubt, have been financially as well as logistically impossible. So thank you all very much indeed. Curator of Ship Models, Simon Stevens, thank you so much for being so behind the idea from the very start. Paddy Rogers, I must thank you, the director of the National Maritime Museum, for seeing the potential in what we are doing. And thanks also to Victoria Mottram for making it all happen. No easy process, let me tell you. And so we've been able to bring you two of the most remarkable ship models ever made, shown in an entirely new way. 
And of all the fun and innovative things we've done on the Mariner's Mirror podcast, I think that perhaps this is my favourite. And I hope you enjoyed the listening and watching as much as I enjoyed the making. The videos will appear on the Mariner's Mirror podcast YouTube channel and the Society for Nautical Research's Facebook page. Today we are focusing on the Royal George. Let me set the scene for you. I have a large and international film crew, a director from Spain, a cameraman from Spain as well, a camera assistant from Italy. We are in the boardroom at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. The windows have been covered over to prevent any light from coming into the room. Simon Stevens, the curator of ship models, has brought the ship in with a team of fellow curatorial technicians. The Royal George now sits on a table in the middle of the room, surrounded by lights and at least six people scratching their heads, trying to work out how we are going to do what we have envisaged doing. Remember, no one has ever done this before. Everything we are doing is new. Within an hour, we have already tried to do one simple thing numerous times. Time itself is slipping away, as it has taken so long to get everything set up. But gradually the film crew get into their stride. The probe lens is mounted on a camera. The camera is attached to a device that allows it to glide forward and back as smoothly as possible. The lights have been positioned just so, and then moved just so, to make shadows dance across this extraordinary model. We get to a stage where the camera crew have the bit between their teeth and are rattling off shot after shot, later to be stitched together, hopefully, into a video that makes sense. It's at this stage that I pull Simon Stevens aside and ask him about this remarkable model. For a little context, however, it's worth knowing a few things about the model that we are filming and why we have chosen it. The model was built for King George III in the 1770s as one of a suite of models and paintings to get him interested in the Royal Navy, illustrating the range of ships employed. It represents a first-rate ship of 100 guns and a crew of around 900 men. It was ships like this that changed the world, fighting for territory and protecting trade. It is, without any doubt, one of the finest ship models ever made. The ship that it is a model of was the largest warship in the world at the time of her launch on the 18th of February 1756. Construction at Woolwich Dockyard had taken 10 years. She fought during the Seven Years' War, in particular at the Battle of Quiberon Bay under Edward Hawke in 1756. At the time that the model of her was made, she was actually laid up but was then recommissioned during the War of American Independence and went on to fight at Rodney's Battle of St Vincent in January 1780. At the time that this model was built, the model makers also did not know that within a few short years the Royal George would go on to take her place atop a ghastly list of maritime tragedies, because she capsized at Spithead in 1782 with immense loss of life. She was intentionally heeled over so that work could be done on her bottom, but they failed to control her angle of heel. Water poured in and she capsized, and more than 800 lives were lost. It's almost impossible to describe the lavish attention to detail that has been put into the construction of this model. It took two years to build, and some of the most gifted artists of her time worked on her. 
It really was quite an extraordinary experience for me, being in such close proximity to such a remarkable work of art, and one that is the key to unlocking so many different aspects of naval history. You have, of course, the history of the model and the artistry involved in making the maritime world in miniature. But you also have the history of the king, this king of England who needed to be instructed on the importance and value of maritime and naval history. And, of course, you have the history of the vessel itself, this mighty first-rate ship of the line that was built at a crucial time in the growth of the British Empire. The development of the navy, and more broadly, the development of naval power itself. As always, we like to bring you the best of the best for our guests. And so here is the brilliant Simon Stevens, curator of ship models at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich, and a man who has himself pioneered innovative ways of studying ship models. In particular, the use of medical cameras to actually get inside the ship models and see all the bits that are hidden to us casual observers. That footage has revealed a host of details about the model makers. This is a topic we will certainly be coming back to in the future, and I very much hope to be able to get some of that footage onto our YouTube channel. But for now, here is Simon. Simon, we're lurking behind screens and <laughs> yes. huge piles of equipment watching um, a team of highly technically skilled Spanish and Italian cameramen <laughs> filming. We're going international. We are going international, filming, filming this model. Yeah. Um, tell us about this, the Royal George. You're right. Okay, what we've got here in front of us is probably one of the um, highest quality models of the 18th century of a, an English warship. It's the Royal George, launched in 1756, rated a first rate with 100 guns, and it's a full plank on frame model. So you've got individual frames which have then been planked. On the one side, on the starboard side, on the port side, is completely open frame. Mm -hmm. um, it was commissioned by Lord Sandwich uh, in July 1772. First Lord of the Admiralty? First Lord of the Admiralty, yeah, Lord Sandwich, uh, as one of a suite of models that were commissioned for George III. Is that the collective and noun for models? That's a, a suite. A suite, that's really good. <laughs> a flotilla. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a flotilla of dockyard models. No, okay. but, uh, and it was one of a, a, a collection of models that Sandwich commissioned to get George III interested more in the Navy and also the Prince of Wales. Mm -hmm. um, so why was he not interested in the Navy? Well, he was mainly an army man. That was his background, ah, George so III. So it's a problem, was, that's a problem. The king's not interested in the yeah, Navy. Yeah, he said, that's right. So, um, right. He, uh, you know, he wanted to sort of try and get his, his interest in, in the Navy more. And it was all sparked by when um, the Earl of Sandwich, First Lord of the Admiralty, paid a visit to Plymouth Dockyard and saw a, a plan and a model of the dockyard. Yeah. And was so taken aback by this, he thought, right, I'm going to commission a model of all of the six Royal Dockyards, Chatham, Plymouth, Sheerness, Deptford, Woolwich, um, and show them to the King. So that you, And they basically explain how ships were, you know, the, the, the raw material, the wood arrives along the river and it goes through the whole process of, of how the, the wood is, is, is um, made ready for building the ships. Yep. Okay, and then in addition to the dockyard models, there are three um, full hull models, the Royal George, a frigate and a, and, a, and a ship in frame, completely as it would have been built, uh, together with a whole range of paintings of each class of warship painted by uh, Marshall. So what we've got here is this wonderful 48 scale model of the Royal George, 
at shown as it was launched. Yeah. Um, and it, it's incredibly detailed. Now, you'll notice that a number of the features on it are made in bone and tortoise shell. So it's, it's, it's been blinged up to a certain extent to show right. certain features of it. Um, I mean, the dead eyes, for instance, on the channels. Let's, let's give yeah, our let, listeners let, a sense of the um, kind of size of it as well. Right, okay, just, so just we're looking at a, a model that's over a metre long. It's probably about a metre and a half long yeah. by about 50 centimetres wide in yeah. depth. It's, colour? It's, uh, it's, oh, it's a lovely sort of sandy brown colour, you mm. know. Uh, a lot of the wood that's been used is box, uh, and which has then got a natural varnish on it. Um, and then you've got painted friezes on, yeah. on, on the bulkheads uh, and along the sides. So, so we're at the, um, we're standing we're at the bow, the, aren't we? Uh, we're at the bow, the star, quarter starboard, bow. starboard quarter at That's the right, bow, yeah. and uh, we've got a view of, the, it's not a figurehead, is it? What, oh, what do you, it's what, what do you call a What do you call a bit before they started making figureheads? It's, it's like a, an amazing it's a, cluster it's a of huge. It's a huge carving. carving. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was only adorned uh, a first rate or second rate. After that, you would have the standard lion figurehead for the lower rates. Uh, and basically what you've got is the king in the sort of uh, classical um, warrior outfit on horseback, equestrian figure, trampling his, his, his foes. Um, and, it, and it's incredible. I mean, the, the actual figurehead really deserves filming on its own. I mean, it's yeah. an incredible piece of art. Because, I mean, at a distance it looks stunning. The closer you mm. get, it's oh. almost inconceivable yeah. how, how detailed it is. It is. I mean, the, the, you know, they've got the veins on the stomach of the horse, the flared nostrils of the horse, you know. Yeah. It really is incredibly detailed. Yeah. Um, and we think it's a single piece of, of, of wood. So I'm just watching the camera probe here. Um, it's getting quite which close. Has been, yeah, <laughs> which is then set onto the, to the, the stem head. Which is how a, a, a normal ship's figure would be would be produced. So, yeah. But I mean, we, we're, because this was made for the king, we're very lucky that quite, uh, quite rarely in the 18th century we've got all these written references in the archives, giving us sort of insights as to why it was commissioned, when it was delivered, you know, the reaction. Uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, did, did it work? Was the king inspired by the Navy oh, once he had these models? I, I think he was actually, yes. Yeah. Um, when the Prince of Wales then became George IV, um, the models were then um, presented to um, the Greenwich Hospital collection. Yeah. So they were taken out of the Royal Collection. Let's talk a little bit more about the detail because mm, yeah. what we, we're looking here is mm. on the outside, but yeah. there's more going on inside. Oh, as there's well, a tremendous it? amount in the side. I mean, it, it, this is probably one of the most detailed models internally that I know of, um, but purely because the planking has been emitted on the port side. Yeah. So you can actually look right into the model. So, of course, if you can do that, you've got to make sure that everything that should have been there is there. Yeah. So you've got capstans, you've got pumps, you've got cabins fitted out with bulkheads, lovely decorated floors. You've got little um, fires, hearths in there to keep the cabins warm. You've got a full cock cooking stove in the forecastle. Uh, I mean, and you've got a working belfry with a little clapper that moves as well. I mean, it's it, it just and the floor is marketry. You said I mean, in, in the great cabins. That's right. It's an inlaid floor with the you know the the, the typical um, uh, compass rose uh, and other. You've got the herringbone fashion decoration as well, because in a in a in a in a cabin normally it would be a painted canvas floor. Which they would lay in the in the cabin and then roll up once they were using the cabin for to run the guns in and out in, in times of, of war. So that's been depicted by um, by this lovely inlaid marquetry, uh, and of course all the panels of the bulkheads and the doors they've all got hinges on that work. They've got door latches that work. Uh, I mean it, it just 
it, it defies belief, really, that so much detail has, has gone into this model. Yeah, and it's and also clearly of a, of a period where um, manual labour was yeah. was cheap. But having Absolutely. said that, you know, think about the guy who's made this. I reckon yeah. he's a talented uh, model maker, probably a talented shipwright in mm. his own right. You know, he knows how the big ones are made. Mm. Mm. And exactly. he's been given a, a commission to yeah. say, right, I want you to make a model for the yeah. king. How long did it take him, do you reckon? Well, what do we I know mean, about it? What, what we know is it was ordered in July 1772 and it was delivered in June 1774. Right. So uh, this model, not all of them, but this model. So it took roughly two years. Now, it was, it was put together by a team of people. It wasn't one, one individual. Right. We know who did the carving, uh, burrows. All the painted decoration along the bulwark friezes and the bulkheads that was done by Joseph Marshall, who was a, an artist in his own right, and he produced the portraits of all the different sizes of ships that were then presented to, to George III. Okay, so well. he's got models and then portraits yep. of the models he or has, of the ships? No, portraits Both. of the models, interestingly, uh, interesting, yeah, which, is, which is pretty much unique. Um, and then you've got the dockyard models as well. And the, the, the people that worked on these were carpenters, joiners, carvers, um, and there were some metal workers as well, you know, tin, uh, coppersmiths who did obviously the, you know, the metalwork for the channels, the chain plates, uh, the guns, if there were guns included, the, you know, the brass hinges on the, on the uh, uh, gun port lids, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you've obviously got someone who would be able to fret um, very delicate wood and bone work and also be able to turn as well. So it was a real range of skills uh, that were needed for this. Yeah. Uh, but only a number of people were mentioned in the correspondence probably you know, quite senior people, because obviously the, the artisans actually worked on it, um, you know, the sort of lower ranked artisans, as far as we know, didn't get a mention. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it, you know, the amazing thing is on the plank side, on the starboard side, the planking is still really tight. What you tend to find with these models is over the years, because they um, constructed using wooden brass pins and animal glue, the planks tend to move with your different sort of conditions, you know, humidity, light levels, that sort of thing. This is as tight as anything, so yeah. not too close, guys. Um, so, you know... Let's uh, talk about the unplanked side, yes. what that reveals to us. On the unplanked side, you've actually got how the ship was actually framed. It's not a schematic framing, as you would get the Navy ball models. It's actually how it was, and then every three frames have been omitted to give you access into the model, so you can look inside the model but they still left within those frames the positions of the gun ports because again, it was important. Um, this, this ship was designed to show a new style of construction and layout of the guns for this okay. class. So, And the, the very distinctive gun, beautiful curved shape of the hull. Um, yes. For those of you listening, it's, it's like, a, like a wine glass, yes, let's describe beautiful. it like that. Yeah. So, you know, choosing and selecting the timbers for that, how, yeah. how, did, how did that work? I mean, to what extent are those lovely curves natural or are they carved and then put for in For the position? model or for the, for the oh, ship? Well, well, I was yeah. actually thinking about for the ship. Yeah, I thought you were. Right, well, in, in which case, yes. I mean, the, the certain timbers uh, were grown or they were sourced from grown trees, okay? <laughs> So for like knees, which are sort of right-angled timbers that support the deck beams. Yeah, so for that, those of you listening, it's like a shelf support. That's it, a shelf support, exactly that. You go to along to a tree which would have a, the correct uh, shape in terms of its trunk and, and the relation to its uh, a, a bough coming out or a branch coming out. Yeah. And you would have a template with you and you would just hold the template up against this tree and say, right, we want that tree, that will do for 
three knees or something like that. Yeah. So it's a grown That's timber. That's tree for three knees. Yeah. How if many knees if in you're the lucky, If you're lucky. Oh, well, <laughs> a well, lot. Let's, let's put it this way. There's two per beam, you know, and then you've got three decks. Yeah. So you just can't, I mean, it's hundreds, basically. It is hundreds, know. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And also, not just vertical knees, you've got what they call horizontal knees, lodging knees, mm -hmm. which support the deck beams on a horizontal surface. Yep. So, you know, you know, the amount of timber required for a ship of this size was vast. A, a thousand? Over a thousand. Over a thousand, trees. Over yeah. A thousand it has trees. been calculated with the Victory. I mean, don't forget, Victory was 1765, so she's ten years after. Uh, the Royal George was launched, so and um, we know exactly the quantity and quality of, of, of wood required for that. Yeah. And she's the same size, you know, she's a three-decker, 100 gun, 100 gun first rate. So yes, and it was very carefully selected both in the UK and also abroad, which is another reason why we were looking for timber supplies abroad and in Scandinavia, territory, yeah. territory, North America, that's exactly that, you know. Because it's not just one species of wood, there's a, a range of, of, of species that were used for different jobs in the ship. So, And then for the model, you know, mm. th those, those, those very knees we were discussing, those mm. are not carved out of single trunks of oak, no. are they? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're carved out of, of smaller pieces of wood. A lot of these models... And are they boxed as well, or is it just the, the planking that's boxed? Uh, it, it's likely that the planking is boxed because of the colour and the lack of grain. The great yeah. thing yeah. about boxes, the lack of grain, which then does away with the scale. If you if you use something like pine where you've got very obvious grain or oak, which is very difficult to work at this scale, it, it ruins the effect of a scale model. Oh, okay. Whereas something like box, you you it's very it's very hard, it's very crisp, so you can carve it well. You where can, do you get box from? Well box is a very slow growing um, tree and I mean in Box Hill down in Surrey, up mm. on the North Downs, there was a big enclave of, of box there. But it's been used for years for things like instruments, because it's very very finely carved, you can mark it, uh, you could turn it, so of course when the, you know, you can turn it on a lathe, um, and for something like figureheads where you've got this really intricate deep carving, you can either make it from sections of box glued together or you can make it from a single piece. Um, so it's a very, um, very uh, adaptable uh, material that can be used for, for carved decoration and also the colour as well is lovely. Yeah. And it, it's a slow growing, it's like our sort of fruit woods that are slow growing, you know, again, they've got very little grain, they're hard, and they withstand, you know, time and, and, and tide, as it were. So the I only problem is that they, they're, they're susceptible to, to worm damage, unfortunately. Okay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The warships at the period, um, you know, mm-hmm. looking at this very different to, say, mm-hmm. HMS Victory, yes. which was painted. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I mean, is this what the model looked like or... Uh, when that was at sea, did it look like this it, with the sides varnished? Yeah, it did actually. It pretty much as, as the ship was finished like that. Um, the, the thing about Victory is that later on in its career it had the gun ports yeah. um, painted, you know, with the with the the, the yellow ochre and, and the black bands and things. Um, up, that was much later in the, in the 18th century, whereas this really depicts the ship as it was launched within reason. Yeah. I mean, obviously all the sort of bone decoration and stuff like that was was carved in wood and then and then painted. In, yeah, and it, it's such a beautiful oh, uh, model, but but uh, encapsulating this period because mm. there's, it, I mean, it looks more like a 17th century mo- mm. ship or a model, I think, yeah. than, than something later. It's yeah. this this sort of you know middle period mm. where they still the really elaborate design. Mm. I mean, it's 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 still nothing compared to a 17th century ship no. like the Sovereign of the Seas. No, no and we're going to try for you listeners. We're going to try and get um, a model filmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, from the Science Museum, or mm-hmm. possibly one one from the, the National Maritime Museum, mm. but um, you know, in, in comparison with this, let's talk a little bit about the you know seventeenth century ship design. Yeah. Yes, I mean, what with the big visual difference you've got with this is that with seventeenth century ships, they were highly decorated. All the gun ports had wreaths, carved wreaths around them. There was much more decoration on the bow and the stern. And then, as you go into the eighteenth century, there was an order issued, I think, in about seventeen fifteen, saying. On the grounds of cost and maintenance, we're going to reduce the decoration on all of our warships except for the first and the second rates. Yeah, but they piled into them, didn't they? Were unbelievable. Oh, incredible! You know, um, you can imagine the cost of just keeping these these this decoration in good condition and also, you know painting it and, 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 and gilding yeah. it as well. So an important point so, to, to say, you know, even though this looks unbelievably yeah, elaborate and it's stunning, it's nothing, nothing no. compared to what was going on no, a century you put it before. Alongside the, the St. Michael, you know, of 16, uh, 1670, you know, they, they're completely different, you know. Yeah. And then let's go another generation on. So 1770, what was going on in 1870? Then, well, 1870, you know? yes. I mean, you're into the steel navy now, you, yeah. you know, the sailing steel navy. So, you know, the only decoration you're getting there is possibly a figurehead. The, the stern, small would probably, stumpy one. Yeah, stumpy yeah. one. You would have a, a, a coat of arms on the bow, possibly, and then there'd be a, some decoration around the stern, and that would be it. Yeah. You know, there was nothing uh, elaborate like this. You know, you wouldn't have painted bulkheads or anything like that. Um, I don't know what was what was done internally, but certainly, um, yeah, completely different. I mean, if you look at the Gannet, for instance, at Chatham Dockyard, mm-hmm. the yeah, gunboat, yeah. that's 1870, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's the stark difference. Yeah. Let's just talk about these doors on the bows. Yeah. What are those, those for? They're so, I mean, one, two, three, yes, four, you've five, four, six. Four, yeah, on, on the what they call the forecastle or beakhead bulkhead, you've got these four opening doors. Now, in either side of those four doors, you've got these sort of semicircular cylindrical um, buildings or, or um, uh, constructions, and they're the heads. They're the heads for the officers. But then forward of those, you've got the, op- the heads for the crew, which are basically just open seats with holes in but the doors themselves you could actually run a gun through if you if you oh. wanted to fire a, a, a gun but also the you'd doors probably blow you off have, the figurehead though wouldn't well, you well <laughs> you have to yeah the, either side of the of the, the heads but no they give you access to the to the to the bow area which is obviously where you've got to work the, the sails on the bowsprit in the jaboom so you, you've got to be able to have access to the bowsprit sure. for the crew so sure. 
let's walk over hmm. uh, around the around the back mm -hmm. and um, have a talk about the stern. Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Mine out for the kit. We're now wading through um, loads of loads of filming kit lights. Um, here we are. We can. Just, oh, just, no, we're right here, I think. Yeah. The stern, yeah, enormously elaborate. Incredible, isn't it? Um, you've so you've got windows, but not only just windows, you've got balconies as well, yeah, which absolutely. I quite like. Absolutely, what they call an open stern gallery. Yeah. And over the years, they, 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 they experimented with enclosing the sterns as well as opening them as well. And you'll notice if you go and visit Victory, she's got a completely enclosed stern, which was added for her refit for um, Trafalgar. But yes, you've got these open sterns and you've got three tiers. Yeah, it says quite a lot, I think, about... Um, I've always been obsessed with windows on the back of sailing warships. Mm. I mean, it's like having a conservatory on the back of a tank. It's, it's, ma it's madness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not only that, it's not just important seeing the world as you sail through it mm. or where you've just been. I quite like it. There's something... Mm. Um, proprietorial about it it's not it's not just enjoying the view it's about it's no. about seeing somewhere where your massive warship has just yeah, literally been absolutely. um so it wasn't just enough seeing the world but no. to actually be out in the fresh air mm -hmm. without being on deck and encumbered by mm. the mm. by the rigging and the shouts yep. and the busyness of, mm -hmm. of of the deck and obviously that's where the captain and the admiral would have had their meetings with the with the senior officers about you know plotting their courses that you know their their action in in time of war and that sort of thing and that, that's where they would eat as well so it was a, it was a, a multi-use space yeah um and on the on the quarter galleries which is you come round the stern to either port or starboard you've got the glazed windows um again to bring light into the cabins and they also served as toilets as well for the for the uh, for the officers as well one interesting thing about the 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 the, the glazing on the windows it's actually made from mica which is like a, a mineral muscovite which um which is very very you can split it to very very thin um uh, wafer thin sheets and at that time they would use that instead of glass and then the the, the actual frames of the windows are carved in bone incredibly and also on those the, lanterns and, i know well they're, they're made from a single piece of bone incredibly and they're all pierced they? and they've got ca actual candles inside them as well yeah, I mean it's incredible detail. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand the no, sentence no. you just told me. Well, it's a sort of a, a it's single a sort of, piece of. But what sort of bone is it? Do we know? Well, it's it's going to be bovine, so it's going to be um, uh, some sort of um, ox or, or or cow that that they would use, and they would use the, the the main one of the main leg bones for that for that size of thing. Sometimes they use ivory as well, but this is clearly bone because of the colour, and there's no sort of grain to it either. And the rudder strapping yep. is interesting. What's, so this is, I'm looking at the, the, the rudder underneath the stern yep. gallery, and it's held That's on right. by one, two, three, four, five, six. What, what are those? They're the gudgeons bands. and pintles, basically. Oh, right. They're the, the, yeah, the gudgeons that hold, uh, they're um, uh, on the actual rudder itself, and then the pintles are on the stem, uh, stern piece, so they've got the spikes, and they basically support the rudder. I think the other thing about the, the rudder is that, as you probably know, um, the, the, the ship is steered by the rig, really, not the much, the rudder, and the rudder was a fine tuning yeah. of, of, the, of steering a ship. A lot of people think, you know, that was it, you just sail in one direction and you just turn left and yeah, yeah. pull your, your, your rudder over. No, it's all do with balance, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the rig, because the point about this model, mm. very obviously, is it's not rigged. No. It is an unrigged model. Yep. Um, but there are many in your collection which are rigged. Yep. So what's the decision-making about not rigging it? Well, I suppose, that, you know, in this particular case, it's going to be time and money. You know, it's going to cost more to, to rig the model, and also it's going to take longer to rig it. And also, at this date, the rig was a basic three-masted square rig. There was no advancement, technically, in terms of the rig. 
It wasn't until you get into the um, later 18th century where they extended the jaboom and they did some work on the fighting tops and stuff that the, the rig started to sort of, you know, be, be tweaked. So really, you know, the rig. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It basically mm. says that it's so it's so everyday, it's so alien yeah. to us. Yeah. You might sort of think, oh, I want to see the crazy rigging mm. and the miles mm. and miles of the ropes. But for them, it was like, oh, that's how ships work. Yeah. And it's very rare that you get sails rigged uh, on, on models as well. I mean, we've got a number of models that are, f are what we call fully rigged, but oh, without sails. Yeah. Um, some of them have just got the sails bent onto the yards and stowed or furled. Um, others have actually got them, you know, actually flying, but, yeah. you know, they haven't managed, you know, they haven't survived very well over the years. Well, I find it, so. I actually like it without mm. the rigging. I find yes. it, 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 the rigging was often quite distracting mm. because in terms of the scale, mm. the, I mean, it's quite difficult to understand that the sheer size of, of the yeah. canvas um, utterly dominates yes. the model, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, the square footage of a canvas is, is yeah, huge. Yeah, and so all you end up looking at is, is, is huge, big squares of, yeah. of, of canvas. And it does hide a lot of the deck detail as well. Doesn't you know, it, yeah. you, do, you just don't get, uh, the, the sort of the, you know, the, the, the equipment on the deck when you've got you know, the lower courses sort of flapping about in front of you. Yeah. And you're right, the eye does detract to the sails and the masts. Yeah. So, you know, there are reasons for not rigging a model, you know, various reasons. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, in this case, it's, it, you know, you just completely focus on the hull and, and the decoration. I just noticed here that the, um, the, the portholes on the stern yes. have got windows in yes. because those go onto the officers' quarters exactly. and the rest of them are just gaping holes. Yeah. So quite breezy on the gun decks. It would have been, that's right. I mean, you know, when, obviously when she was sailing, um, they would run the guns in and drop the lids down and seal them, so they, they'd have to be made watertight, especially along the lower, uh, the lower gun deck, uh, you know, uh, nearest the water, uh, the waterline. Yeah. But uh, yes, I mean, obviously, when the, the guns were rigged out in times of action, uh, yes, it was quite a, a quite a breezy place. But I mean, you've got gratings on deck to throw light into the hull and also air, because that, that was another problem they had was stale air in the hulls, especially you know in the all-up deck and things. Which is why you have so to. So the all up deck being it. the lowest. The yeah. lowest deck. That's below the gun deck. So you've got three decks. Below the waterline. You're below the waterline mm. exactly. Yeah. So you've got the gun deck, the upper gun deck, uh, and the middle gun deck uh, in the on the model, and then below that you've got the all up deck as well. Yeah. Looking on the side here, we've also got this. Um, you described it as the front door. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> What's going it's on called there? the entry port, really, but that's where the senior officers and certainly the captain and the admiral. When the ship was afloat on its moorings, they come alongside by barge, uh, and that's that's their their access into the hull. They wouldn't just clamber over the bow or anything like that, or up the stern. That's their official entrance. Yeah. And it's still the case today in the navy. Really, when a senior officer comes on board, they pipe them aboard up the the you know the central gangway. So, it's interesting that it's still carried on that tradition. Really, mm. and in, in, on these big first rates, they had an entry port on both sides, port and starboard. Uh, and you, you can see they're quite intricate as well. Um, and it's interesting that some of these were, these entry ports were collapsible, because obviously having that thing hanging out um, when you're at sea, it's, it's asking to be washed away. Um, so it was- On your head, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Davids, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to take a photo because it's all silhouetted. It's yeah, very it's lovely, beautiful, yeah. look at that. Yeah. I mean, interesting. It doesn't show the anchors. You know, the, the, a lot of these models were, were normally rigged with their sets of anchors because there were there was a set of anchors on a warship of different yeah, sizes yeah. for different jobs. But there's no anchors on this model, and there's, there's never been anchors as well. Interesting. So, which is, but I, you know, I've noticed when you do look at a model mm. with the anchor on a, on a mm. ship, right, they are 
inconceivably massive. Oh, they're ma yeah, huge and weigh several tons. Yeah. yeah, and just you know, manhandling those things um, to 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 drop them and retrieve them and then stow them as well because you can't have them just swinging around on the end of a davit. No, it's smash holes in the Absolutely, cause untold damage. Yeah, so they, they would. Yeah. They were your best friend, but also your worst enemy. Exactly. It's interesting, as a you know maritime archaeology, that the, the the two best ways of of kind of getting a sense of a ship, if you haven't got the ship itself, is to find its anchor or its rudder. Yeah, that's right, or a gun or something like that. If mm. it's a, a warship, exactly. They, that's the sort of giveaway, isn't it? Really? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the because you get a real sense of the scale of it. Guns are interesting mm. because the, mm. you know if you've got a really really big one, then you get a sense of the mm. the scale of the of the beams and support mm. to support it all. Um, so what about what we know about the guns? The guns are missing here. Yes, I mean again, you know, the, the, the guns themselves, they, they're all different um, pounder, pounderage guns, you know, they had different weights because they fired different um, size shots. So the, the main gun deck, which is the lower deck, would have probably had 32 pounders and then the, the middle deck probably went up to 18 pounders and then the upper deck would probably be a mixture of 8 and 9 pounders because obviously you can't have the big heavy guns on the upper decks because you make it unstable. So you've got to have your heaviest, larger guns lower down um, so that the ship was, was stable enough to, to be sailed and, and worked in, in action. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Thank you very mm. much for telling me all no, about not it. not at all. And um, let's hope this, uh, this film comes out well. I think it's going to be Fingers amazing. Crossed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, this, if you're going to do this on a model, this is really one of the best to choose for the 18th century. I mean, it's incredibly yeah. detailed. Well, I'm excited about it, particularly as it's going to pick up things that the uh, that a human eye mm. won't even be able to see. Well, I mean, it's, that's an interesting point because obviously we've got models in the collection which have got internal detail, which clearly without modern equipment, you would never have been able to see. Yeah. And, it, and people always ask, well, why did they put it in there? And I, my, you know, my answer is, I don't know, but I can make a sort of guess. You know, it was just, you know, the, the craftsmanship was their pride. You know, if they knew it was going to be for someone, especially the king, yeah. it had to be the best. What we're hoping, we've been filming with this probe lens, which um, mm. it's, it's like a magic wand. Yeah. Um, and what we're hoping is that when we turn them, we're filming on the planked side now, mm -hmm. when we turn it around, we might even be able to get it inside the model, yeah. uh, which will be, um, mm. be mind-blowing. Yeah, because anyway. the detail inside is, is incredible. You've got all the sort of fixtures and fittings, you know, the pumps, capstans, windlasses. You've got the, the cabins are decorated as well. You know, got the fire hearths, the stove, even the bell on the belfry is turned in brass and it's got a working clapper in it as well. I mean, it's incredible. Brilliant, sir. Okay, well, thank you so much, Simon. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you all very much for listening. If you are listening on an iPhone, please scroll down the podcast app, tap five stars and leave us a review. It really makes all the difference. We will read out any new reviews that are left. Most recently, we have an excellent five-star review from Scott M083. This is a really excellent, informative and enjoyable podcast, writes Scott. Thank you very much. Presented by Dr. Sam Willis in his really engaging style with knowledgeable guests for each episode. Highly recommended. Scott, thank you so much. That really does mean the world. And Dave MCESQ, uh, is that the hint of an Esquire there? Uh, five stars. This podcast is truly outstanding, greatly detailed and informative while still being very easy listening. More of these, please. And it's not just to massage our maritime egos. Every review helps us get discovered online and therefore helps us do what we are trying to do which is spread the gospel of maritime history as far and as wide as possible. So I really would encourage you, please, to take the time to rate us and leave a review. 
Please also check out our fantastic Mariner's Mirror podcast YouTube channel. It doesn't only have these spectacular videos, but other wonderful videos. Um, most recently, I think my favourite is an animated 3D model of the Titanic, created from the ship's original plans. It really is quite extraordinary. Best of all, however, please, please join the Society for Nautical Research. Your modest membership fee will go towards supporting this podcast, publishing the Mariner's Mirror Quarterly Journal, and towards preserving our maritime past. In return, you get to become a member of an extremely friendly society with regular talks and events. You receive the Mariner's Mirror Journal four times a year, and you can come to our annual dinner on the gun decks of HMS Victory. You can find out about everything we do and you can join at snr.org.uk.